SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, joining me as always are Stefan Chin. Hello. Are you working on cool things? No. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> oh, glad no. that I could provide you with that fulfillment. What's your tagline today? It's all an illusion. Also, we're being joined by Sam Schultz. Hello. Sam, mm-hmm. how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling energized today oh nice not uh, usually not how i feel that's great what's your tagline deep thinker Ooh. sam schultz deep thinker sari riley is also here with us today hello how you doing sorry i can't turn toward you my neck hurts <laughs> <laughs> that's okay it's been a weird day so i'm gonna compartmentalize and let the science wash over me <laughs> that sounds great is that your tagline <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Compartmentalizing and letting the science wash over me. Sorry, Riley. And I'm Hank Green. It's a pleasure to be here today. My tagline is 
floofa-doofa. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together, try to one-up and amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Hank Bucks from week to week, and we do everything we can to stay on topic. But the podcast is called Tangents, so sometimes we're bad at that. And if the rest of the team deems the tangent unworthy, we will force that person to give up one of their Hank Bucks. So tangent with care. And now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. From sticks in the ground, to the watches we wound, to centralized, standardized, atomic clocks, we time infinitesimal down to the tenth decimal, and we know when to check the mailbox. Our rate, I reckon, is one second per second. Even knowing this changes the paradigm. While our telomeres unravel, each of us will travel through space, but also through time. I love the idea that we're traveling through time at one second per second. We're all time travelers. We're all time travelers. <laughs> we're headed into the future. <laughs> What's a telomere? It's uh, the thing at the end of your chromosomes. They get shorter and shorter as you get older. It's one of the processes huh. through which we age. Uh-oh. So we're getting older and older on this uh, the arrow of time, and we we must travel at one second per second. We can travel no faster than that or no shorter than that, though there are weird relativistic things that maybe, now that I've said that, people will yell at me about. <laughs> All the pedants. I don't yeah. know how to say that word. Pe- the pedants. Pedants. <laughs> pedants will come out of the woodwork and yell at you about they're plane gonna, travel and mountains. And... Yeah, they're going to come at you of, about the pronunciation of pedant as well. Yeah, also that. Hey, what's time? <laughs> <laughs> Our subject today is time and timekeeping, and now I guess Sari has to tell us what time is. Yeah, I was trying to think about this, and I looked it up, and then... Uh, I made up my own definition <laughs> because it's a construct, and because I'm a human, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I guess. Um, and Tell so, that like, to the pedants, suck <laughs> <laughs> it, pedants. So the way I want to define it is: timekeeping is a way in which we observe the natural natural world and divide it into chunks to let us predict stuff, plan ahead, or communicate with each other okay. about when things are going to happen or or things like that. Um, I'm sure there's more things outside of that umbrella but time is so weird it's so upsetting like it's a, <laughs> it, it seems like upon first blush you're just like oh that's a, yeah sure that's a thing i've experienced that my whole life no big deal time of course but then you're like wait why why though why are we in this weird boat that goes and it's always going <laughs> is there like an infinite nature like it will go on forever and also does it go infinitely backward and physicists say no that it had a start like there was a time before time, but that doesn't make sense. The sentence I said doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's a bad sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I get very upset by time. Uh, but it is very helpful to keep track of it so that we know when we need to get to the studio to record tangents. <laughs> and in general, I do not think about that in an existential upsetting way. I think time makes us think a lot, like mm-hmm. really hard about ourselves and our world mm-hmm. because it is just a product of our brains. Right. So it's like, I'm going to stress about time. Wait, because time I've... is just a product of our brains? What? Is it? Is it, though? Because <sighs> yeah, there's all this I... stuff about, like, increasing entropy, which seems, like, very yeah, outside that's... of our brains. Well, I also think that, like, time seems to be a thing that exists regardless of the humans. Like, there yeah, seems to be an true. arrow to the universe. Yeah. You yes. know, it's doing a thing with or without us. And... Yes, time ex- exists with or without us. That's That's fair. But... Our perception of time. Like, the things that time can psychologically do to us. Mm. And also, physiologically, they just keep keep going down and then eventually you fall apart. All your proteins 
get too <laughs> short. And you just fall into a pile of I know, worm food. Yeah, decomposition <laughs> happens, but the way you describe that makes me think that everyone just poofs one day into a pile I of mean, bones. In terms of geologic yeah. time, that's yeah. what happens. It's like, <laughs> like you sort of hold together for a blink and then suddenly... <laughs> It's like a more squelchy noise than that, I think. <laughs> Sam, can you make the noise of the instantaneous dissolution of a human into a pile of goo? It's a two-part sound. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we know now a little bit about timekeeping, and and, and it's, it is definitely a construction of humans. I googled real hard to find other animals that whole time, and according to Google, they don't exist. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought a bee, maybe. Bees would, but Be bees like, don't. Yeah, hey, hey, I'm other like, bees. Yeah. Let's let's do something. Yeah. At like 4.30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, animals with jobs seem like they would have like mm-hmm. a little watch in their head. They do respond to stimuli like the sun and moon and stars sure. traveling. Yeah. yeah. So like they can navigate based on celestial bodies. But I think that's different than time idea. Yeah, yeah, than timekeeping. Yeah. So navigating based on celestial bodies is different than yeah. planning out your day based on their movement. I don't know if I agree with that, I guess. Like the things that we do in our day, like we make ourselves think about time, but also like our bodies experience it as quickly as they do. And like the sun happens and we have to do things and like everything's paced out to our life naturally. And we have physiological timekeeping that happens inside of our bodies. It's like a thing that is just happening. Like mm-hmm. we yeah. get tired and we have circadian rhythms and all of that, which other animals also have. But timekeeping as a technology is certainly unique to humans. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we fought through it, everybody. And now it's time for One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The other panelists have to figure out, either by deduction or wild guess, which one is the true fact. If they do, they get a Hank Buck. If they're tricked, our fact presenter gets a Hank Buck. And this week, our fact presenter is Sam Schultz. Here we go. Like we were saying, a lot of life on Earth has like its own internal way of keeping time. And... Is, that's the circadian rhythm. It's like uh, the sun dictated sleeping and waking cycle that we all experience. But since we figured out the circadian rhythm thing, there's always been the question, what if there was no external way to tell time? What if we couldn't see the sun? Would that just like Ooh. screw us up completely? Mm-hmm. So in the late 1950s through the 1980s, a pair of German scientists put 300-ish people in little fully furnished bunkers and told them to just live their lives, their normal lives, devoid of knowing what time it was was okay what do you think their they results 300 people uh-huh that's a lot that's a lot yeah they had a lot of of booths it seems like like a lot of little apartments built in a big bunker with no windows with okay. nothing yeah oh uh, and but they can like turn on and off the lights if they wanted to they had a little kitchen they had food they could they had a record player they had people did they were not they, other with people a friend? no they other people all by all themselves. Themselves. how long did they stay in 18 days okay so did the people's cycles shift to 20 hours awake and 10 hours of sleep schedules, accompanied by the impression that less time had passed than actually had. Mm. Two, people started getting their sleep in the form of frequent naps, with most of their non-nap activity happening to occur around dawn and dusk. Like, if they could have seen the sun, that's what would have been happening. Mm. Or three, nothing really and everybody it was just normal. Everybody was just normal? Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Because <laughs> I was going to go with number three after hearing the first two. But then that seems extremely unlikely. Yeah, there's no way they were normal. But I also feel like it would be it would, it would would be impossible for us actually to line up with actual dawn and dusk. 
which yeah. is also kind of normal. I feel like you get messed up at the beginning at least. Because I've heard the thing about that our, our circadian rhythm is not exactly 24 hours. And yep. so it just feels correct to me that like if you were in this bunker without knowing what actual time it was that you would slowly drift onto a different schedule. 20 hours awake, 10 hours asleep. But I didn't think it was that different. That's pretty dramatic. Hmm. Yeah. I also feel like napping would be much more likely. Especially because, like, what am I doing? Like, do I have an activity I need to accomplish? Have you given me, like, craft work to do? Do I have knitting needles? Because if there's nothing to do, I'm going to nap all the time. They were German, so they could probably listen to craft work. (laughs) (laughs) thanks they did have records and books and stuff they had records and books and stuff I worry about the nap one it could either be true or convincing lie because I feel like that would be a justification for those like the ideal sleep schedule for humans is taking 20 minute naps in the middle of the day or or things Mm -hmm. like that you're always hearing that yeah and so it could either be a weird pseudoscientific thing that has come up nowadays that you just adapted as a lie to Mm -hmm. be from this study or this could be the study that kick-started those thoughts and ideas. Could be. <laughs> when was this study from? <laughs> the late 1950s to the early 1980s. Oh, oh so it's, they did oh. this for a while. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So the things we have, we have cycles shifted, 20 hours awake, 10 hours of sleep. Two, frequent naps, most action at dusk and dawn. Or three, everything was normal. Feeling normal over here. Why is normal the weirdest one? <laughs> you guys, I'm going to go with normal. I'm going to go with naps. <sighs> All right, I'll go with the 20 hours and 10 oh, hours. Oh, we're denying you any any point clusters, <laughs> Sam. <You> jerks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the right answer between 20 hours awake, 10 hours of sleep, people taking naps, or nothing, everything's normal. Nothing, everything's normal. Ah. Nothing, everything's normal? <laughs> yeah. So number one was the 20 hours awake, 10 hours of sleep thing and the uh, impression that less time passed than actually had. So Maurizio Montalbini was a cave diver who spent 210 days underground in 1987. Then in 1989, a woman named Stefania Fellini spent 130 days in a cave. I've heard of these people. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this cave thing. Yeah. It's Both of people. them were studied by NASA Um, (laughs) to some degree. I couldn't quite tell. It's kind of like sketchy details, and I'll tell you why that is, I think, in a second. Um, They both lost a ton of weight and experienced a huge shift in their sleep patterns to 20 hours awake, 10 hours of sleep. And uh, they also thought that way less time had passed. Stefania Fellini thought that two months had passed when, in fact, four months had passed. And it was pretty similar for the other guy, too. They both had, like, the same results. And I think... I'll tell you why I think that is when I get to the third okay. one. That's right. Number two, that's just cats. Cats nab all day and then they're... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> good lie, Sam. And uh, number three, they were all okay. They spent 18 days in isolation in a little nice apartment where they could turn the lights on and off. Um, their sleep turned into more like a 25-hour cycle. And I read somewhere that that was just because people like to stay up late. That's normal. It's normal. It was was like 24.8 or something. That's pretty normal. pretty normal. Yeah. So, and then after they got into that cycle, when they stayed there, it totally remained constant. Like for everybody Mm -hmm. that they tested, once they got into that slightly longer cycle, Mm -hmm. it stayed exactly the same. They figured this out and they set this baseline for how people in this isolation would be living. And they identified things called zeitgebers or time givers. Mm -hmm. And those were things that people did like socially that made them know internally like what time it was. So like eating, like when they got hungry Mm -hmm. or needed to drink water or stuff with their internal temperature. 
Okay. Can tell could tell yep. people what time to go to bed. So then they started messing with those and like cranking like the temperature, like giving people less food or less stimulation. Then they started getting results like the people who stayed in the cave. Oh. So that was like it would mess up your internal temperature and then you'd start getting like real weird. But I think the two people in the cave were so weird because it seemed more like a publicity stunt to me. And like mm. the lady didn't have anything. She had like cardboard and scissors and like a rat or something. So they were... (laughs) (laughs) She had three items to go into a cave. What do you want? Cardboard, scissors, rat. (laughs) She had had two mice and like cardboard that she was doing crafts with. Was she friends with the mice? Were they like companions? She said she talked to the mice and had conversations with them. Do they live there or she brought them in with her? I think they were brought in with her. But This is very weird. It's very MacGyver thing. This is like, and then she exploded the door. Well, That's she how she got out. When they let her out, she said she didn't really want to leave. <laughs> like when she was ready, when they told her it was time to come out because there was a predetermined time, mm-hmm. then she was like kind of sad that she was getting out of the cave too. Oh. Generally, as long as you can turn on and off your own lights, that seems like the thing mm-hmm. that you will stay consistent no matter how long you are away from the sun. Hmm. Wow. At least among 300 people. As long as they're German. As long as they're German. <laughs> yeah, it's very precise. For 18 days. The people in the caves were in there for longer. They were in there for a really long time. I just think that there was, like, so much stress associated probably with living the way that they were living. Living and, like, sleeping on scissors. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't find if Stefania had a bed or anything. Hmm. I know that Maurizio slept in a wooden box. What? So I think that, like, they were setting themselves up to be in an intense situation. If I am sleeping in a box with two rats, cardboard, and some scissors, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to sleep for 10 hours a night. Yeah. I'm going to sleep for like three hours and be like, ow, my back. <laughs> but maybe you'll be, but you'll be awake for 20 hours. Maybe. So maybe you'll be like, I don't want to fall asleep. It's no good. Uh, did you say why they went down into the cave? Maurizio just liked to do it. And he wanted to set world records. Uh, and he was a caver. So, mm-hmm. like, eventually he got hooked up with NASA, it seemed like. And they were, like, testing him just when he would go down there to try to set the world records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Stefania was a fan of his and just did it to do a world record, too. So I think she still has the longest world record for a woman being isolated. Like, the woman's record for isolation. Oh, huh. And I think he might, too. But I don't know. He just died in like 2006 and I think he had just set the world record when he died so maybe by now somebody else did but for like overall isolation he has overall isolation I'm pretty sure and did he die of isolation he died of heart problems that a lot of the obituaries I read said Mm -hmm. was not related to the stress from living in a cave Mm. a lot (laughs) but they all said that and it seemed very suspicious that they would all say that (laughs) just just everybody wanted to be very clear yeah but the way I got clued onto this was that there are some studies and stuff that say, like, the human body has a 30-hour sleep cycle. And I think it seemed like it was only based on these two. These two random cave huh. people who yes. slept on scissors. Yeah. But people who had bunks and lights and lived in a place, they had books and, and stuff. They just they were doing went to, right. like, 24.8. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's like the paleo diet. All those olden humans just lived in caves with scissors. So, <laughs> <laughs> gotta go back to our ancestors. Yep. Two mice, some some scissors, and, cardboard. and some cardboard to do some crafts with. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah. She comes out of the cave and she's just got a bunch of really great cardboard crafts. She might have. She was an interior designer. So, she probably had some good ideas while she was down there. Now, we're going to head into our fact off. But before we do that, we're going to hear some words from some sponsors. 
Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff, Uh, because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. We're back. Hank Buck totals right now. Sarah, you got nothing. Stephanie, yeah. you got nothing. <laughs> Sam and I are tied with two. Now get ready for the fact off. Two panelists have brought in science fact to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. And we each have a Hank Buck to award to the fact that we like the most. If both facts are a giant snooze, then you don't get a Hank Buck. We throw it in the trash. So who goes first? It's going to be the person, and I've been watching, who most recently checked their watch. I don't have a watch. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I have. Did I check it since coming down here? You haven't. No. Oh, but you. But you probably did because you have one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've had a watch since junior year of high school, and I wanted to be edgy. So instead of having a watch with numbers, I had a watch with colors on it instead, and a little circle that moved around. That's how Sari was edgy. (laughs) It was just so when people looked at my watch, they'd be like, how do you tell time on that? That's not edgy. That's that's pretentiously nerdy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's just synonymous in my head, and that's how I've become the way that I am. (laughs) All right. So Stefan and Sari are in charge of the fact off this week. Uh, Hit me with your facts. Stefan, of the normal watch with numbers on it. (laughs) We do a lot of timekeeping with clocks, uh, but there's one area where humans themselves have to act as the timekeeper, and that's when it comes to music. Oh, yes, of course. So I was looking at different studies that were related uh, to that idea and found one that was kind of interesting. So when you're walking and listening to music, most people naturally sort of synchronize their steps to the tempo of what they're listening to. 
And so there's this kind of intuitive idea that like, if you listen to faster music, you'll walk faster. If you listen to slower music, you'll walk slower. But this study was trying to figure out if you listen to different pieces of music that are all the same exact tempo, how does that affect how you walk? Mm. Uh, So they had people walking on a circular track while listening to 52 different musical samples that were all 130 beats per minute, all had four beat meter. And then they also had them walk to a metronome at that tempo just for like a neutral baseline speed. But they were explicitly told that they had to walk in sync with the music and they discarded anything where they did not take 130 steps per minute. Okay, so they're taking the the same number of steps, but maybe a different lengths of stride? Mm -hmm. Okay. They also noted that a different study had found that loud bass drums make people have vigorous horizontal hip movements. Uh, which wouldn't affect your forward <laughs> momentum. <laughs> but they noted that they were not measuring that in this study. <laughs> Give me that phrase again. Vigorous. Uh, uh, vigorous horizontal, horizontal hip, hip movements. movements. That might affect your walking too. I feel like yeah. I make some vigorous hip motion sometimes if I'm listening to a good song. I'll check. Okay, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Uh, so they had people walk to the music, and then they came back a couple days later to listen to the music again, and they assigned specific adjectives to the music, Okay, um, deciding whether it was, like, good or bad, tender or aggressive, soft or loud. And then they did all this analysis, and they scaled the metronome speeds to 100% for each person, and then found that different music induced variations up to about 10% faster or 10% slower mm. than that baseline speed. And aggressive, loud, fast, stuttering music made people take longer strides and walk faster. And that was usually like pop or techno style music. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then tender, soft, slow, and fluent music mm. tended to make people take shorter steps. And that was uh, more in like jazz reggae style. Of okay. Music. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like personal taste didn't really matter. It was just like these qualities of the music that affected how vigorously people were walking. And this is something that we now have done research on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and no. The main thing that they're sort of looking into this for is for physical rehab. Oh, okay. Um, because they know, like, they already use music to, like, sort of influence how people are moving in mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. But the way they've categorized it has been much more general, and this was trying to get more specific about what kinds right. of music affect people in different ways. So but what's better for me as a human? Should I listen to more reggae? Should I take my time more? Or should I get to where I'm going? I think that's something you have to decide for yourself. All right. That's a good fact, Stefan. I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm I'm afraid for you because Sarah usually gets something good together. But we'll see what happens. I fucking love timekeeping. I love watches (laughs) and clocks and technology involved in it. And so when I started researching this, I expected to find like straightforward devices like pocket watches or hourglasses or sundials or weird variations of them. And there are some, and I could tangent about them forever. But there was one inventor who lived around 1100 or 1200 CE named Al Jazari. And among many devices he designed and built is an over three meter tall clock. It kept time throughout the day and night with little doors that popped open or circular discs that would light up and showed the phase of the moon. It had automaton humans, which played music on fake trumpets or drums at a few specific times during the day, and falcons, which dropped bronze balls onto cymbals every daylight hour. And all this intricate machinery was entirely powered by water and a couple systems of pulleys and gears, which had to be reset every 12 hours by a human. And all of this was before electricity and modern technology. And it's also considered to be one of the earliest examples of an analog computer because it's like a device that is performing actions based on 
essentially an equation. And by changing the amount of water you loaded it up with, it could be reprogrammed to account for different amounts of daylight or nighttime hours. And he called it the castle clock. But it was it was cool because he had to have measured out different weights and set different weights. So like a, a solid dribble of water would cause the normal hours to tick. But then on certain hours, there was a bigger rush of right. water so that the automatons could be powered to uh, move their arms to play the drums or play their trumpets yeah, and crash their cymbals. Air pressure oh, would change so that the trumpet Oh, they actually played trumpets. The trumpets made noise. The trumpets made noise. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Jazzery. Geez. Back off a little bit. Leave, yeah. leave something for the future. He's too smart. <laughs> he And this was like hundreds of years before European yeah. automatons as far as I could tell because yeah. those dates range from like 1600s, 1700s. Well, I guess it's time for us to award our fact to either Stefan's how yeah. fast do you walk when you listen to reggae versus <laughs> jazz versus Lady Gaga? And how far do you shake your butt? Or Sari's Al Jazari castle clock of uh, of pretension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just love this whole episode. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like if you got a castle clock in your house, it's like, oh, by the way, the smartest guy living in the world right now <laughs> built this thing that I have a room for. I'm going to go with the current science. I'm going to go with scientists being like, I want to see how big your steps are when you listen to Ariana Grande. Yeah. I think I am too. It's like mall science. I like that. <laughs> like mall science. How <laughs> fast yeah. can we get you in and out of these stores? Yeah. Let's figure that out. All right. Well, geez. I'm just going to sit here with my colorful watch and my fancy <laughs> clock and all my clock facts. Yeah. Everybody. And no one's going to appreciate it besides me. <laughs> Clocks are lame. Well, Sari, here's your chance to redeem yourself because it's time for Ask the Science Couch. This is in a thankless which... job. <laughs> it is. It really is. You don't get any hank bucks for this. We're going to ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. And uh, we got a question for us to be read by Sam. At Lady Bluebell 65 asks, why 60 minutes, 60 seconds, 60 everything? Oh, boy. Right? <laughs> I'm so, I'm over it. All these 60s. Everything would be much easier. I also feel this way about the degrees of a circle. I know exactly how much half of 100 mm. is and half of 50. I'm all here for that. And that would make all of this circle stuff so much easier to calculate. Yeah. But I assume that it has something to do with that. Sari, tell me what I'm missing. It does. 60 in general is better because it's more divisible than 100, oh. including like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. It's the oh, smallest number oh, that see. is divided by all those factors consecutively. Whoa. And oh. everything makes so much know, more sense now. now. Um, <laughs> and so it was the everything basis. should be 60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of speculation as to why this became the basis of our time number system. But the Sumerians and the Babylonians used what's known as a sexagesimal system. To further answer that question, it's not 60 everything. It's 24 hours in a day. I think the 24-hour thing traced back to the ancient Egyptians. So after the Sumerians, after the Babylonians, uh, some of the first timekeeping devices were sundials. And nighttime divisions, at least, came from the observation of 36 constellations known as decans. So stars in the sky, constellations. Mm -hmm. As the Earth revolves around the sun, different constellations appear in the sky. And so these 36 constellations that the ancient Egyptians marked 
would mark out 10-day periods Mm -hmm. over the course of a year. So like 10 days would pass, a new constellation would show up first in the eastern sky. And from what I can tell, about 12 of them would cross the night sky in one night as the Earth rotated through the night. And so that set up for like a division of nighttime into 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Not entirely sure where the daytime hour thing came from. Well, probably daytime is the same length as the nighttime, roughly, Roughly. especially in Egypt. Uh, So just do that. Yes. This is where my my fuzziness with the idea of an hour came in because they Mm -hmm. didn't have 60 minutes, 60 seconds. They had sundials that just, I don't know, pointed to a number as the sun moved through the sky. Mm -hmm. They also had constellations that gradually progressed through the sky during the night. Those are relatively standard units, but if the daytime grew slightly longer, slightly shorter, I could see that those 12 units mm-hmm. would progress slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it took until mechanical clocks for us to actually standardize and mm. like people in Europe to say, okay, we're going to do 24 hours based on the ancient Egyptians, 60 minutes, 60 seconds based on the system established by the Babylonians, and we can create devices to measure this. So they just did whatever they wanted to. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's all, like, all of this is arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. So somebody had to make a choice. Right. I guess that makes sense. And I yeah. there, I think there was an effort at one point to to make it, uh, to make, like, 100 second minutes and 100 minute hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The hour was going to stay the same length and it's still going to be 24 hours in a day. But ultimately, you know, w- what I often find in these conversations is like, it would be better if it were different. And it's like, but you know what's better than different is just agreeing on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The really amazing thing about time and clocks is that we have a global system. We have a global system of months and hours and seconds and years. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are some places where like the year is different than our year. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we all sort of have this standardized system of timekeeping is actually pretty amazing, mm-hmm. you know, that there were plenty of opportunities for it not to be that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is really nice. Like, it's quite yeah. good huh. that we have all agreed on that because it would be very annoying to arrive in a country and be like, well, not only do I have to, like, reset what time it is, I need to go buy a new watch yeah. that goes by their time system. Not uh-huh. something I thought about before I said it, but that would be annoying. That would be awful. Yeah. That's why decimal time didn't catch on. It was instituted in France with a decree put out on October 5th, 1793, which oh. was like a year and a half before the introduction of the metric system. So before they did, they standardized all other units. They were like, hey, let's try standardizing time. And so they created decimal time clocks, Uh dividing things into tens. And it was really unpopular because people were like, you fucked up my time. I don't know when I'm supposed to go to this meeting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What time are you on? What time are you on? Yeah. And there were so few practical reasons for like your average person to change how they use time Mm -hmm. as opposed to the metric system applied to a lot of other units where that standardized commerce weights and measurements helped with a lot of science things. And they helped with a lot of knowing how much to pay for what and standardizing what you're getting for your money and was easier to communicate because then people could just change how they measured things as opposed to like replacing every single clock and watch in the whole Mm -hmm. country and telling people Mm -hmm. like this is the thing that you need to own now. And the thing that I like about this most is that the people who are like on the sus adjustable system are so dead and forgotten (laughs) that we will never have any 
anything like an understanding of who they were as individuals, much less what their lives were like. But we are all very deeply affected by their, their decisions to this day. If you want to ask the Science Couch your science questions, please do, because that was fascinating. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, for doing all of that research. You can tweet us your question using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to RBT Matrix and Mirthalia and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Final Hank Buck scores! Sarah, you got nothing. Oh. And the rest of us are tied. <laughs> Sarah, so what bad. a good episode. Yeah, I wow. love it. So I'll fun. give you my non-existent Hank Buck because I like yours a lot. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's real easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. Super helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us this day. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. And I've been Stefan Chin. <laughs> was that a different order than usual? Yeah, yeah. it was. Sorry. <laughs> SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art is by Hiroko Matsushima, and our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't have made any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, a mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. There's a small 2017 study called Hydrodynamics of Defecation published in the journal Soft Matter. (laughs) (laughs) And in it, researchers estimated that the average mammalian shitting time is 12 plus or minus seven seconds. So I propose that as a new unit of time. (laughs) (laughs)